Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 now, second week, second chapter, and we're going to read a little bit together. And I just realized we're reading scripture, so I have to make you stand back up again. Will you do that with me? Thank you. <laughs> so emotional. Let's read from 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I'm in the light, while hating a brother or sister is still in darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go, because the darkness has brought on blindness. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in this world. The love of the Father is not in those who love the world, for all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. Christ is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Now you may be seated. We'll figure this out one day. All right, you got to go there with me. Put yourself in the room. Put yourself in the room. The table sits low to the floor, and the disciples and Jesus are reclining at this table, their elbows on the table, their feet kicked back behind them, feet that Jesus himself had just cleaned for them. And they sit around the table, and no doubt they're enjoying one another's company. They're laughing at times, sharing stories. They have their own little pockets of conversation at different parts of the big table. All these men and women who've spent three years together in ministry, 
They've walked all over the Judean countryside. They've seen miracles. They've seen the blind brought to sight. They've seen paralyzed suddenly walk. They've seen Jesus turn a few pieces of bread and fish into enough to feed thousands upon thousands. They've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And they enter Jerusalem that week proudly excited about Jesus, their Savior, and their King, who they thought would conquer Rome, kick them out, and establish peace and justice in Israel forever. And yet at that moment, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus, despite the festivities and the excitement and the energy, feels the pain of betrayal in his heart. He says to his neighbors sitting right around him at the table, one of you will betray me. And probably not everyone hears this, maybe just the folks sitting around him. You've got Peter and John and Judas, maybe a few others, and they don't know what he's talking about. And so Peter, in classic Peter fashion, says, hey, John, ask Jesus. Ask Jesus what he's talking about. Reminds me of me and my younger brother, Josh. I would always send him to ask for ice cream, right? Just in case mom got mad or grandma got mad. It's like, hey, Josh, go ask if we can have ice cream. Same thing. Peter, the older brother, too chicken to do it himself. (laughs) So he sends John. He's like, John, ask Jesus, who is he talking about? Who's going to betray him? And John asked Jesus, perhaps even laying on Jesus' chest, as it says in that moment, And he asked Jesus, who's going to betray you, Lord? You know, it's an old Celtic tradition to say that the way of John is the way of listening to the heartbeat of God. And that's where this comes from. John is laying on Jesus and hears Jesus' heartbeat. And I wonder if he felt it beat faster. If Jesus' pulse was rising, if his anxiety and fear and frustration was growing because he was thinking about betrayal And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give a piece of bread to someone, and that's who's going to betray me. And he hands it to Judas Iscariot. And suddenly, John's world just collapses around him like the proverbial ton of bricks. John's whole world has changed forever. Judas? Really? No one saw it coming. Judas was the one they trusted with the money the one who had been through them with all the miracles, who'd laid under the stars at night as they traveled without a home, without a place to lay their head. How could Judas possibly betray Jesus? And so John's heart also begins to pound with anger, confusion, and fear. And then Jesus utters one little word. This word occurs almost exclusively in John's writings. And some 60 years later, as he writes this letter, this word continues to ring in his head. It's not the words that came from Jesus when he taught the Sermon on the Mount or the words to tell Lazarus to rise up from the dead. There's one little word that hung in John's mind over the years. This word was technia, my little children. That's what Jesus said to John and to the disciples in the moment that John found out Judas was going to betray them. Technia, my little children. And now John uses it for his flock, for his church, and all the way down 2,000 years later, even to us, as he says to us, my little children. The fact that this word comes at such an emotional and pivotal moment in John's life, we can't overlook that. It's John realizing that all the teaching of Jesus was actually going to happen as he said it. For sure, he actually was going to be betrayed. He actually was going to be lifted up, not on a throne like they hoped, but on a cross. 
And John had a unique perspective. As apostle after apostle was martyred and killed for their faith, spreading their faith around the world, John would live into older years, all the way to maybe 100 years old, and he would reflect on this word, technia, my little children. And as he says those tender words to us today, he has an emotional moment with us. He's thinking about this moment with Jesus and his feelings about it. And he wants us to know some important things because when he was in that upper room with Jesus, this was the moment Jesus shared the most important things. And now he does the same. Remember last week we said, how can we see the light? That was our big question. How can we see the light? And one of the ways to do that was unfortunately that we have to face the darkness to see the light. We have to admit our own darkness and see the darkness around us in order to see the light beyond it. But this week we asked the question, how do I show the light? And that's where John pushes us in this chapter, no longer just receiving it, but then turning around and showing it and pushing it out to others in the world. But we have a problem. When we turn toward the light, when we suddenly become aware of the light and we see the light and we seek to abide in the light, we become uncomfortably aware of our darkness. It doesn't feel good all the time. You know, later in this letter, John is going to mention Cain and Abel. Remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? They give an offering each. Cain's offering is not received positively. Abel's is. But John says something interesting in this letter. He says, Cain killed Abel because he saw his brother's righteousness. Boy, that's a weird reason to kill somebody. (laughs) Wow, you're such a good person. Die. Who does that? But he saw his brother's righteousness, and it made him uncomfortably aware of his own lack of righteousness. And then he was faced with a choice. I can pursue the path of darkness or light, and unfortunately, he chose darkness. But when we encounter the light... It makes us very aware of our own sin. And so John sends us this beautiful word of comfort right off the bat in chapter 2. You're going to sin. It's just a fact. He says, when we do sin, thank God we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's reminding us not to despair, not to feel overly uncomfortable, but to rejoice in the reality that when we mess up, We don't have to follow the path of darkness because someone's gone on ahead of us, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, how do we show the light? How do we show the light? A couple of things stuck out to me in this uh, scripture today. One is that in order to show the light, we do have to stop with that admitting our sin problem, admitting our darkness, or the way he puts it today, I think, is get saved and then get saved again And then get saved again, over and over, every day, all the time. Why do you think we need an advocate named Jesus Christ? It's because one time's not enough. One and done ain't going to cover it. Every day's a new new day. And thank God that his mercies are new every day. It says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus always lives forever into eternity. But it also tells us why he lives. You know why? He always lives to pray for us. He always lives to intercess for us. 
So every moment of the day, every hour, every minute, every second, God is alive in Jesus Christ working and praying for you. Salvation isn't just a one-time event. It's all the time, and Jesus is doing it all the time, every moment, even in this moment right now. I love the story my friend likes to tell. He uh, had to go before the Board of Ordained Ministry, become an elder in the United Methodist Church, and it's very scary to do that. You know, these are very intelligent, highly well-read folks, and you go before this big board, and they ask you all these hard questions. One of the first questions out of the gate was, all right, pastor, when did you get saved? And my friend's always cool under pressure. So he said, saved? Heck, I got saved this morning. I don't think they expected to hear that from him. But he had good theology. He knew that every day was a new day, and that he had to get saved all the time. But after getting saved, now we're able and more equipped to show the light. And so John tells us, here's how you do it. Super easy. Obey all Jesus' commands. Oh, what a bummer. <laughs> I thought it was going to be way easier than that, right? But here's the good news. Uh, he simplifies it for us. He boils it down for us into one simple command. If you do that one, everything else sort of falls into place. John talks about an old command that's also a new command. He seems kind of confused when you read it. He's like, well, I give you an old command, but actually it's a new command. But really, it's old. And he sort of goes back and forth, and you wonder, what is he talking about? But you know, he's talking about something specific in John 13, 34. Right after Judas leaves the room to betray Jesus, Jesus says, my little children. And the very next thing he says is, love one another as I have loved you. But you know how he starts it? A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. And so John has that new command ringing in his ears, but as he thinks about it, he realizes this is a very old commandment. It's a very old commandment. It goes back even to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where it says love God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You remember Jesus speaking of those. Those are very old commands. Love one another. That's old news. That's way back, way back in the early parts of the Bible. In fact, this command to love one another, this is ancient even beyond the Bible. This goes back to the very nature of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who live in eternity, worshiping and loving one another in perfect community in beautiful communion with each other. And this nature of God loving and community then is transferred to you and me as we're created in God's image. We're invited to participate in that love that God already exhibits within God's self. So this is a very old command. How is it a new command? What makes it new? If it's as old as God and God is love, why? Would Jesus call it a new command or John? He says, love one another as I have loved you. Now that wouldn't have made much sense to Abraham or Moses or David, would it? They didn't have the benefit of meeting Jesus in the flesh. And so if they had been told, love like Jesus, they would have had no idea what you were talking about. But we have the benefit of knowing who Jesus is. We have our example. We have our perfect life, our perfect Lord and our perfect Savior who shows us how to love. 
And Jesus even says at one point, man, the Old Testament guys, they would be so jealous of you. You got to see me. They're jealous. Abraham is jealous of you. Isn't that crazy? But that's the reality. We get to see Jesus as Jesus is and love as Jesus loved. So how did Jesus love? That's a big question because however that is, that's what we do, right? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the new command and the old command. How do we do it? Because that's how we show the light. We love one another as Jesus loved us. How did Jesus love? You know, I just keep going back to this picture in the upper room. This is what's banging around in John's head when he writes this letter, this upper room moment, this my little children moment when Judas betrays the world. But John says something really strange here. In our chapter today, he says, don't love the world or the things in this world. Now I'm just confused, right? Jesus says, love one another, and then John says, don't love the world. And then I think about John 3.16, which is saying about, and it says, for God so loved the world. Wait, what is going on? I'm so confused. Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by world. It's a little bit of a, a trick. Think about a word like the word date. I got this from, I think, Rachel and staff meeting this week. The word date has lots of meanings, right? You could go on a date, go see the movie, hang out together. You could put a date in your calendar, or you could eat a fruit called a date. Has anyone ever done that and is willing to admit it? There's a lot over here. I've never tried it. I don't think I've ever tried it, maybe once. So there's three different kinds of dates, right? How do you know which date I'm talking about? If I say, you want to go out on a date, do you think I'm offering you a piece of fruit? Like, what do you think is happening? It's just context, right? It's the sentence or the conversation around the word that tells you what we're talking about. The same is true of the world. And so up on the screen, we have this, this visual for you to see. But when John talks about the world, it depends on the context with what he means. The word in Greek is cosmos, or cosmos is where we get our word in English. And all it means is three different things depending on the context. So world can mean the entire ordered creation. Sun, moon, stars, universe, galaxies, streams and rivers, animals, plant life. All of God's creation is the world. But in a different context, the world is all of humanity. Human beings that populate the world. And then a third context is the kind of systems and values that are in the world. Now we know because of what John says, he's not talking about those first two today. He says, don't love the world or anything in the world. And then he lists some things off, right? Desires of flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of riches. In other words, that third category, the systems and values of the world are not things we're supposed to love, and they're not things God loves. Our values come from a different place, a supernatural place. But God does indeed love creation. We know in Genesis he created the world and he saw that it was good. And we know God loves humanity. We definitely know that as Christians, don't we? So we know John today, when he says don't love the world, don't get distracted, he means don't love the, the systems and values of the world that tell you to hate or tell you to oppress or tell you to hurt or tell you to, to do trauma or to sin, right? I hope that clarifies it a little bit. Love the world in creation. Love humanity. Don't love the values and the systems of the world. 
So how did Jesus love them? Jesus loved the world, the humanity and creation. How did Jesus do it? And one thing sticks out to me the most in this moment. You've probably seen this on uh, social media before, different posts like that, this little pithy phrase, Judas 8-2. Have you ever seen that? Anybody seen it? I've seen it a million times. Judas 8-2. Pretty popular to say on social media, but I never really gave it much thought until this week. Have you ever really truly meditated on this confounding and unbelievable idea that Jesus knew who was going to betray him and fed that person? What? That's not a kind of love that I naturally have in myself. But infinitely more scandalous than that, Jesus didn't just feed Judas. Jesus actually communed with Judas. Jesus took the bread and dipped it in wine and gave it to Judas. What? Madness. Crazy love. Someone he knew had made the plans, taken the money, and decided to betray him. And Jesus said, I'm going to extend grace again and again and again. Why? Because we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. And thank God he never gives up on us. He didn't even give up on Judas. And so Judas ate too. It's amazing. Jesus says after Judas leaves the room, he says, now the Son of Man is glorified. I always thought that was weird. How is, how is the Son of Man glorified? He's being betrayed. What, what does that mean? As I thought about it this week, it sort of occurred to me, maybe he's glorified because of what he just did. He loved someone who did not love him back. He loved someone who did not want to look like him or live like him or act like him, and he loved him anyway. And that's glory. And thank God for that. Because how many times have I been Judas in my life? I don't know if you've ever been Judas. I'm not going to mention any names. But I have been Judas. And now here we are. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. That's the kind of love that communes with the enemy. The kind of love that sees your sin and my sin and Judah's sin and everybody's sin and says, well, I'm going to die for you anyway. The kind of love that gets betrayed but walks to the hill of Golgotha for you anyway. The kind of love that allows nails to be driven into hands and feet, that allows itself to be nailed to that cross, that struggles to breathe hanging that, on that cross, naked and cold. That kind of love. That's how Jesus says to love one another. And so, beloved, we are not like Jesus yet, are we? We have a ways to go, but we do have a new command. Love one another as we have been loved. And it is our joy and our duty and our purpose for the rest of our lives here in this moment and on into eternity to love as we have been loved. And that is how we will show the light. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. 
That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed. <laughs>